I want to tell you something. The root word for the word worship is the word worth. From the Old English, worth-ship. So the bottom line of this definition is when it comes to worship, what is something worth to you? Let's all stand and we'll turn to Acts chapter 17. Acts 17. Acts 17, in verse 24 to 26 is what we'll read together, and then we'll read verse 31 as well. So Acts 17, verse 24, we'll read verse 31. 24 to 26, and then verse 31. Ready? God that made the world and all the things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelt not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men, for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed, and the bounds of their habitation. And then verse 31, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath in assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. It is time for Christians to live properly for God the way he has asked us to. I titled this message, Three Important Days for the Christian. Three Important Days for the Christian. All around us today, people seem to be falling into traps and surrounding themselves with all kinds of false beliefs and things they wished were or things that are just outright pagan. Back in 1999, my family came to Canada, and it was on September 22nd. And we arrived to the Quebec-Canada border. I know it's a totally different country, but it was the Quebec-Canada border. And I was looking through the glass pane and, you know, when they're introducing you to a new country, they try to make it look the most beautiful as possible before you come in. And as you looked through the glass pane, you could see all these different multicolored trees. Now to me, as a Sri Lankan, this was the first time I ever saw trees colored red or orange or yellow. Because in Sri Lanka, you only have two colors for trees, green or black. And black, it's because somebody set it on fire. Now, when I was looking, this was my first introduction to Canada. This is the country I was going to live in for the rest of my life. And September came and went, and mind you, I was six years old. I was put in kindergarten, and so I was already a year behind. And uh, I had to go to a French school. And sure enough, by, by the time October came around, um, our family had finally gotten into an apartment, and uh, weirdly enough, as I would go to school, 
Uh, there were times where I would walk to school and there would be times where the bus would pick me up. But the days where I would walk to school, I'd look out in the neighborhood and it was one of the weirdest feelings ever. Because for the first time in my life, people were putting out all kinds of weird decorations around their houses. Okay, and when I got to school, arts and crafts, we had to color things like pumpkins, skeletons, we had to color things like spiders. And to me, this was one of the newest things I'd ever seen, one of the bizarrest things I'd ever seen. And sure enough, when December showed, these same houses that put these occultic imagery outside of their homes now put decorations of Christmas. Something didn't match. Something was off. That's all I was going to say. Now, the story of Paul here, we just read, he began to preach, and he began to preach in an area called Areopagus. Areopagus was a small hill that was beside Athens, the capital of Greece. And in this mountain, Areopagus, usually you had philosophers and such that would talk to crowds. They would preach their philosophies. And sure enough, there were philosophers there. And Paul, as he was noticing these philosophers, he also saw these different altars. There was altars to all kinds of gods that he did recognize that were part of the Greece mythology, to the Greek mythology. And then he noticed this one altar. And in verse 23, it says that this altar had an inscription called, To the Unknown God. Now, if you came to the Soul Winners Academy uh, I would have shown you a picture of this, this altar. It was just an altar, but it had no statue on it. The statue was, in fact, invisible. But it was inscribed to the unknown God. This altar to the unknown God was placed there amongst the many that was part of the gallery of gods. Something didn't match. Something was out of place. Now, Paul, he does go on to compliment these people. He does go on to compliment the Areopagites, and then he talks to them, but he realizes also that it's to be expected. These people don't know God. Therefore, they will worship any other gods. Pagans, it's natural for pagans to do paganistic things. But what about for Christians? Is it natural for Christians to be a part of these pagan rituals? Let me rephrase. Shouldn't it be natural for Christians to be worshiping God? Shouldn't it be natural for Christians to match what God has asked him to do for every Christian? Paul carefully outlined three distinct days, and he spoke through them, through his little a little sermon here to these Areopagites. And he outlined them at Mars Hill that day. And we're going to go through these. These are called the three days that are important for every Christian. Every Christian ought to know what these three days are because it shows us how God should be worshipped so we could be the Christians that God is pleased with. So before we dig in, 
Let's open up in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for today and for everyone that is here, for the music and just the fact that we can worship you with liberty and the fact that you loved us, you were willing to die on the cross for us. And Lord, there's, there's no way that we can ever fully comprehend your love. There's no way we can ever fully worship you the way you deserve. But Lord, as human beings, as futile human beings, I pray, Father, that we would come to understand how we can worship you, how we can be better Christians and please you in your sight. I pray, Father, that you would speak through me now and that the hearts would be opened for this message. I pray that anyone here that doesn't know yet about heaven, that uh, they would get that settled here today. I thank you, Lord, and praise you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. The first day we we're going to talk about, and Paul talked about it too, is the day of creation. The day of creation. Now, if you're in Acts verse 24, it says, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. If you come to our Sunday school, we open up more and more Genesis. So Acts 17, 24, God that made the world and all things therein. Before time and matter existed, first of all, God was there. Before everything was there. He is known as the great I am, as it says in Exodus 3.14. He exists in a state of forever present. A commentator said this about God. The name I am denotes that he is in himself. I am that I am. This explains his name, Jehovah, and signifies, number one, that he is self-existent. He has his being of himself. Number two, that he is eternal and unchangeable and always the same yesterday, today, and forever. Number three, he is also incomprehensible. We cannot find him out by searching. This name checks all bold and curious inquiries concerning God. Number four, he is always faithful and true to all his promises, unchangeable in his word as well as in his nature. We can't even fathom how powerful God really is, for he created the universe out of the sheer power of his words. Throughout creation's story, God is creating things by saying, let there be, let us make, and let these, or this, or it. That was how God created. We have trouble using words sometimes, even in our daily vocabulary. Philosophers have struggled for thousands of years over the questions and definition of words and their meanings. They've asked questions like, how do you know if something exists? How do you know if that thing is true? Is it possible for your mind to be deceived? Can your senses be tricked by illusions? What if everything you know is an illusion? And then in the 1500s or the 1600s, a famous physicist and philosopher by the name of Rene Descartes, he was thinking of this same nature, these same questions. 
And what he answered was, je pense, donc je suis. Or in other words, I can think, therefore I exist. God, before any idea can be thought of, before any design could be fathomed, before any law could be established, he thought it, he fathomed it, and he had established it. That's God. The famous American preacher of the great revivals that took over America in the 1700s named Jonathan Edwards said this, God is the head of the universal system of existence from whom all is perfectly derived and on whom all is most absolutely dependent, whose being and beauty is the sum and comprehension of all existence and excellence. That's a mouthful, but here, I'll rephrase it for you. The more you discover and see and understand the universe, the more amazing you realize our God is. And I think this is very true. The more NASA tries to prove more of the Big Bang by taking pictures of the universe, the more we see how creative our God is. The more beautiful we see our God. Do you realize what an amazing God we have that is currently sustaining us? that is currently sustaining the human body, who's sustaining the very atoms that surround us. God is sustaining it all. Every human being was once a thought in the mind of God, and he designed us inside the womb of our mothers with a purpose, with a plan, to use us individually. Therefore, let the day of creation remind you of how great God is. This is to every Christian. Every person was created by God. Now, there's the second day. Day of worship. We understand that God had created us, but what about the day of worship? Seeing that our God is great, He deserves worship. He deserves worship because He is great. Because He is God. Did you know that man was made to worship? Within the heart of man lies the instinct to worship. Every culture, every type of people group that has ever existed had at one time known of God and had at least one time tried to worship Him. Have you ever wondered where people get their ideas for their gods? Now there's a theory amongst many anthropologists and historians out there and what they've come, uh, come to find is that a lot of times, heroes become gods. All right? That should surprise you. I don't know. I don't see much faces changing. <laughs> what happens is that they get immortalized, and eventually their stories become incredibly vast and exaggerated to the point where they're worshipped all of a sudden. Think about this one. Nimrod. In our Bible, we see Nimrod. He's the man who is sort of like a dictator, and he's the one who was in charge of building this whole tower called Babel. He wanted to reach the heavens. The Assyrians call him Gilgamesh, and they worship him. In a manner of speaking, oftentimes we even see it in our modern day today. America tends to also do this with their founding fathers. 
It seems like Abraham Lincoln and George Washington have nothing wrong with them and are immortalized. Even today, there are cults built around leaders. There are cults who have followers of a man or a person, I should say. And these followers think that this one leader, this human leader, will one day lead them to salvation somehow. And truth is, people are good at worshiping. And we do it without even giving a second thought sometimes. When you say Alexander, there's usually a title that goes after his name. Do you know what it is? The Great, right? Napoleon. Einstein, Michael Jordan, Isaac Newton, Plato. Depending on what field you're in, there's something that those people are worshiping. It doesn't take much for us to be impressed. And when we are impressed, we start to worship these things. Not only are people sometimes worshipped, things are worshipped also. And I've noticed this term that's gotten bigger and bigger in the recent months, especially ever since COVID started and more and more people are confined to their homes. They're spending more and more time online. And oftentimes, there are people that people follow, celebrities that people follow on, on YouTube or on TikTok. And sometimes people go a little bit far and beyond, and what they will start doing is start trying to gain the approval of their celebrity because they feel like they have a connection with this celebrity. And this term is what they took from a 1900 word that was trending back then called simpleton. You might have heard of it, but eventually the word became simp. You've heard of this word? Right? And a simp is somebody who tries to gain the approval of a celebrity. These are people on the internet. They end up wanting more and more of this, these people's approval. And the thing is, some of these celebrities, eventually they would go on and say, I love the, the amount of attention I get from my followers. But you see, I feel like sometimes it's not enough. I enjoy it, and they, this is the word they use, I enjoy it when people worship me. And that's a true statement because eventually it turns into worship. There are celebrities being worshipped on TikTok and YouTube. And throughout the thousands of years of human history, people have given the worship and love that God deserves to celebrities, to something, or to someone. Now, I want to make a case in point. Raise your hand if you currently have a phone in your pocket. It's practically ubiquitous, right? And you know that people can track you with the phone, okay, whatever. But you have a phone, and chances are more and more of your life is starting to get dissolved more and more into that phone. More and more, that phone is becoming the tool to your very existence. Are you seeing where I'm getting to? The phone. I want to tell you something. The root word for the word worship is the word worth. From the Old English, worth-ship. 
So the bottom line of this definition is when it comes to worship, what is something worth to you? How valuable is your phone? What is the value of your phone? I'm not saying how much did you buy your phone for. You could have bought your phone for $200. But if your whole life is on it, now, if you were to lose your phone, your whole life is gone. Take a look. Psalm 20, verse 7. Psalm 20, verse 7. Psalm 20, verse 7, it says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord. One more time. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. I want to compare this with Proverbs 21, verse 31. The horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. See, today we have phones, but back then they had horses. The trust that a person would have in chariots and horses, it's trying to speak symbolically to the fact that some will put their trust in their own strength. Some will put their trust in their own works. Some will put their trust in what they can do and the actions they can perform. But the ultimate decision still rests on God. That's what Proverbs 21.31 is saying. And see, I'm going to bring you back here to Acts. Go back to Acts chapter 17. The people of Areopagus worshipped these statues of their gods, and they weren't doing it just for fun. They weren't doing it for no reason, because they really believed in what these gods can do, or at least what these statues represented. The thing is, they wanted something to happen as soon as they worshipped their gods. They wanted to make sure that when they're performing their acts, when they're performing their works for these altars, that something would take place. Those deities and those statues represented the worth of their works. They saw their works as so valuable. And that was what their worship was to these gods. Others in the world today worship statues thinking that the god that the statue represents will bless them. And they'll keep maintaining these statues. They'll make sure that dust is not gathering on top of these statues. And they'll spend time. They'll spend hundreds of thousands of dollars investing into these statues, these idols. If I were to change the word statue to something else, perhaps something in our lives that we hold dear to, perhaps. Some of these people, when they see these statues, they would spend hundreds and thousands of dollars to buy flowers, and they would make garlands for these statues, and they would deck them out. They would make their sacrifices at these altars, hoping and praying that something would happen. They would no doubt pull out their wallets without ever thinking and empty it out in front of these deities. 
But this ought not to be something in a Christian. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. Let's turn there. Chapter 20 and verse 3. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Jehovah, the great I am, said, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Countless amounts of people in this world live in a fear and give worship give the worship that God the Creator deserves to their idols, to their graven images. It comes in forms of money sometimes, or debt. It comes in the form of diseases sometimes, or safety, they would say. Sometimes it comes in the form of the children, or the future. Idols that they're willing to spend hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars to worship instead of God the Creator. They don't know that the wrong worship will put them to hell, will bring them to hell. To the unsaved, they must sustain their worship for their God to be real. But Jesus is real whether we decide to worship or not. But what do you value the most? What do you value the most? What are you worshiping today? Is it Jesus Christ? Who do you fear the most? Because who you fear will indicate to you who you're worshiping. To worship God is to show that He has the greatest value in your life. How much value do you place on your God? How do you treat God? Is he just an afterthought? Something that you can call upon when you're in trouble? See, our main problem is, and I'll be honest with you, our main problem is uh, we often fall into the trap of not giving enough to God. Honestly, we really fall short of what is due to God. That's our sin. We understand that we ought to honor Him. We do our best to keep the basic commandments, the specific commandments that we know are good. We're pretty good at doing them. But often when it comes to doing our best for the Lord, there's our shortcoming. Our shortcoming is in thinking that we had done enough when it comes to our worship to God, when it comes to our service to God. Everything else we will put a lot of focus on, but all of a sudden when God enters the picture, uh, haphazard or we withhold our best some of us don't love God as much as we love our hobbies some of us we love our games more than we love our God some of us we love our sports more than we love our God some of us don't love God as much as we love our wife or our husband some of us 
don't love our God as much as we love our children. Some of us love our future plans more than we love our God or our dreams or our hopes. If we really read through Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, thou shalt have no other gods before me and really meditate upon it, all of a sudden things will start popping where we start to notice there is an idol, there is an altar that I had built for something else, for someone else. Therefore, let the, God, let the day of worship remind us of how much true worship we owe to our God. Now, number three. The third day is the day of judgment. Throughout Acts 17 in Paul's outline, what we see is that there was a day of creation, and then there was a day of worship, and then finally he speaks of the day of judgment in verse 31. Our life on earth is also very short, and we need to remember that. We know that the things we do on this earth need to count. We're preached to about this all the time. But verse 31, Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. There is an appointed day a day where everything will be tallied up. Everything will be tallied up. And especially for those who are redeemed, we need to take this into account. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, chapter 3, excuse me. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12 to 15. A pretty familiar passage. Chapter 3, verse 12 to 15, it says, Now if any man build, up, build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built, Thereupon he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. I started with a story about a border. I'm going to end with a story about a border. A few years ago, our missionary, Brother Ramos, he told me he wanted to uh, surprise the tailors. And he asked me if I could go get him, give them a ride, picking them up from the airport. I said, sure. And they told me, oh, just one problem. Uh, it's in Bellingham. So could you pick us up from Bellingham? I said, okay, sure, yeah, no problem. And I had my Nexus card, so I wasn't too worried about time and how much time I would be stuck in the border or anything like that. So I drove to the border. And I uh, waited in the Nexus line. Nexus line went really fast. I felt bad for the people who were in the normal line. <laughs> but as soon as I got through to the border, and the border guard was asking me these questions, these were normal questions. 
I had seen them many countless times, right? And I answered them the best I knew how. And there was no problem. He looked like he, there was no problem. And then he pulled up his hand and grabbed a piece of, a slip of paper. And it was this orange piece of paper. And then he stuck it on my windshield. And he said, all right, pull up for inspection. I was like, what? Why? <laughs> I, I didn't say, say this to him, but I, in my mind, I'm thinking, what did I do? What did I say? Was I too calm? Should I have been nicer or something? And I honestly thought, okay, I'm dead. You know, Brother Ramos, you're going to have to find another ride. And I'm sorry. I messed up your surprise and everything. I thought I was going to be held up. They were going to, uh, you know, they're going to look through my whole vehicle. And sure enough, they did. They asked me, we need your keys. We need to check your vehicle. And I'm starting to think, what did I have in my vehicle? What did they see? They're asking me then these questions. Is there any food, any firearms, anything that is sharp? And I was like, okay, I think I have an X-Acto knife in one of my glove boxes. And some granola bars, too. Okay, and I, I opened up, right? Because they had asked these questions before, and I was like, yeah, no problem. But now they're asking me again, and I'm like, oh, yeah, there's an X-Acto knife, I think. Well, sure enough, they checked. 15 minutes later, they came back to me and asked me, um, is that everything you have to say? I said, yeah. <laughs> All right, you're free to go. And I'm going, so what just happened? You held me for 30 minutes, and uh, I'm not in trouble? And I said, no, no, okay, okay. Well, what was the problem? Why did you have to inspect me? And what they told me was, sometimes the border computer decides randomly through an algorithm of some kind to randomly inspect your vehicle. Doesn't matter if the border guard is okay with you. The computer decides, all right, you're in for a check. You haven't had a check in a while. So go ahead, random check. So what I'm trying to say is, ladies and gentlemen, in our life as well, we are getting closer and closer to something called a life border, the border of eternity. And as Christians, if we're aware of the day of creation and we are aware of the day of worship, then this day of judgment shouldn't be a problem for us. This random inspection will one day take place in every person's life. Random inspection. God will have a random inspection for us. And he will ask us, with heavy scrutiny, what have you done for me? The master is coming. I have this small piece of paper that I will try and find. But two little lines I heard one day traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life twill soon be passed. Two little lines I heard one day traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life 
Yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Those were the first two stanzas of the poem that C.T. Studd wrote. C.T. Studd is known as a man who had given up a career as a cricketer, cricketer, the sport cricket. And he was pretty good at it. But he gave up that life so he can be a missionary to reach out to Africa and then to India and then finally in China. Let the day of judgment remind us that we will all one day soon stand before the Lord to have our lives judged, inspected. So I'll conclude. God made this world, and he made you. God shows himself to be the greatest being in the universe, so shouldn't he be worshipped? A simple thought. Do you recognize where you may have fallen short in your worship? Now, perhaps you have been listening through this whole message and are wondering, how do I know if I'm giving my worship to God or to something else? And there's a small little simple test you can play in your mind. Where do you spend most of your time, most of your talents, and most of your treasures. That is where your heart is. And that is where God will check. So, this simple test. Give God your worship. Give God the worship that he deserves. When we spend our precious time with God in prayer, reading our Bibles, that's worship. When we talk about how good God is to someone else, how great he has been to our lives, how the many blessings have come because God was in the picture, that's worship. When we give everything that is precious to us, our life, our body, our family, our children, our hopes, our dreams, our plans, that is worship. When we serve the Lord here at church, or outside of the church. That's worship. Because we are showing that God is the most valuable possession we could ever have. He is worth it all. That's worship. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word. Thank you.